You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. You're as cold as ice. You're willing to sacrifice our love. All right, everyone, it is time for the next episode of the Ice Cold Takes podcast. This week, we're joined by Stat Boy Steven from Twitter and the Under Review podcast. Steven is essentially the European prospect guru and, in my opinion, one of the most rational Rangers fans I've ever seen on Twitter. Thank you for joining us, Steven. How are you? Uh, people are rational on Twitter, man. It's, that's, that's, that doesn't exist. But, uh, yeah, I'm doing, I'm doing good. <laughs> so, um, just... Just uh, tell us about like the Kako wall. Like this is how it started. This is how we got in touch with with him. Uh, Kako scored a goal after he set up his wall with a bunch of Kapo Kako jerseys. So tell us about that. Why the obsession? Um, well, it started about four years ago. Uh, I had recently moved from the Netherlands to Austria for a job, and um, one of the things that it included was a was a trip to Helsinki. Um, to, uh, to help train the local team there. And while I was there, I took a, a three-hour road trip to Turku to see TPS. And initially, I went there to see Patrick Virta, who was our seventh-round pick in 2017. Mm-hmm. And while I was there, I noticed Tarmo Reunanen was sitting like like maybe four or five seats away from me because he was a, he was a junior player at the time and uh, started talking to him. And there was this blonde kid that was sitting next to him and that turned out to be Capo Caco. And uh, I remember people were saying, oh, this kid's going to be great in a few years. And I was like, yeah, this is what they always say about their own players. You know, you never really, you never really talk about it, but then, you know, wrote down his name and I was like, yeah, let's, 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 let's keep an eye on him. And um, then about a year later, I was at a tournament in the Czech Republic under 24 nations to, uh, to see Nils Lundqvist and Vitaly Kravtsov and, Kalko was there again. And yeah, I, I started, I watched him a little bit, but I didn't really pay too much attention to him because I thought, you know, he's, he's probably going to be a high pick and the Rangers are never going to be in that position. Um, and then April 2019 happened and, you know, the day of the draft lottery, which uh, is, was, it's still unreal that I was watching it at 3.30 a.m. my time and, there was a leak from Finnish, uh, from a Finnish broadcast that, that showed the Rangers second overall. And I was like, no way, this cannot be. <laughs> um, and then it turned out we won the second overall pick. And I started to go to a couple of his games because now I had a reason to. Um, I went to uh, a game in Bruno in the Czech Republic. Uh, met up with him after the game. It was really nice. And, you know, he signed some pucks for me. I did a huge giveaway on Twitter. Um and then at the draft in Vancouver a month later, he, uh, he, he recognized me, which was pretty cool. And I uh, was interviewed by Finnish media because I had a banner with me that said that, I, that the amount I traveled and the locations where I saw him play. 
And we were posing for the banner. And at that point, Kako reaches for his phone, hands it to his dad and asks his dad to take a picture of us. And it just, you know, from there, you know, when you have that kind of personal interaction with a player, you sort of, yeah, get like more of a connection. Um, same with Niels Lundqvist, you know, I, I talk to his family regularly. It's, it's, it's a little bit weird, but all, 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 and yeah, all positive, but um yeah, and then, then Kako was, you know, he wasn't really scoring a lot. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to hang up all my Kako jerseys, you know, just to, <laughs> just for fun. And then I'm going to laugh about sparking something. And <laughs> so I hang up all these jerseys. And uh, and I swear the same day he scores his first goal in like a month and a half. So, yeah, that's, that's yeah. That was pretty cool. And it stayed up since then, huh? <laughs> yeah. I've moved some jerseys around because now the Kravtsov and Lafreniere play. I, I want oh, okay. to spark them too. <laughs> uh, so I spark Kravtsov's debut now and Lafreniere had a two-point game uh, <laughs> Tuesday. So There we go. If you have any players that need like a spark for their career, let me know. I'll see. I have a jersey of them. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. So that started relatively recently with the wall then. Right. Yeah, I, I I always had the jerseys, and I was like, you know, my wall. I'm I live in a in an old building in Vienna, so I have high ceilings. And I was I was always like, you know, this wall is very empty. Um, and I was like, you know what? I'm just gonna hang up some jerseys. And initially, I didn't even realize I had eleven Capocaco jerseys. <laughs> <laughs> wow. So I was hanging them up and I was like, oh, I can put up seven. And then I, I went through my closet. I'm like, oh, here's four more. <laughs> so they like, they, I have like some of his game use sticks up against the wall and then the jerseys hang on the game use sticks with a hanger. And yeah. Well, I think it's working because he's had a couple really good games recently. He's playing really well. Yes. Um, yes. He's had a really good season, to be honest. It's just that he excels at the stuff you don't really see on the score sheet. So I, I notice it when he's when he's I've always said I've told Kyriakos this many times when he's got the puck in the corners in the offensive zone. No one's taking it off of him. I mean, I, I see players bounce off him. These are like NHL veterans. That right. Just exactly. off exactly. like, a pin, like a pinball is unbelievable. Yeah, yeah. The, the one player that was really, really good at that was Datsuk. You would watch him with the puck control, dude. He would he would defend off Chara. Like, he would body Chara when he had the puck. Like, that's how good he was, like, in those tight areas. But And Chara is the, is the biggest player with the longest stick in the, in, in the, league, in the history of the NHL. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, so um, that's really awesome. But then you hear controversy now, like, because he was bumped down to the third line. I wouldn't even call it, like, a bump down to the third line because, um, like, all these guys are kind of playing the same amount of time, and and he wanted those young guys together, wanted Blackwell to play Black with the, the group of Panarin and Strom. Um, so what do you kind of think of that? Yeah, I had no problem with Kako being moved to the third line, per se. I didn't have a problem with with Blackwell being moved up, but when you when you move down Kako and Kravtsov and make Gauthier a healthy scratch only to put Blackwell in the top six... All those things together, it's not really something I would do. If you're going to put something on the Panera line instead of Kako, why not make it Kravtsov? You know, he's he's 21 years old. Why don't you just give him a shot, see what he can do? If it doesn't work, then you put him in the bottom six. But, of course, every time I mention this about Blackwell, he scores a goal. So... <laughs> 
I mean, this, this is like the second or third time this season where I'm on, on Twitter criticizing the move of putting Blackwell in the top six and then he scores the first goal of the game. So what do I know? <laughs> he can play, though. Blackwell could play. There's no denying that. I, know. I mean, he's a, he's a good player. But yeah, no. this, this season was never about winning for me. This season was about giving your prospects minutes to play and giving your prospects the opportunity to, to excel and to show what they can do. See, and yeah. Yeah, that's the whole thing. Like, I think Quinn is a very uh, – or he's a very – like, he's oriented at his young players to a certain extent, but he also wants to win, and you can tell. And he kind of exudes that with his lineup, and he puts in the guys that are going to be the best to yeah. win that game, right? If this is 2023 or 2024, I have no problem going with your best player in the top uh-huh. six to win a right. game. But, but at the same point, it's like I think – Yes, ice time is obviously one part of developing players, but I think that putting your players in a winning environment is also extremely big. And when your team is winning and when you have like that hungry energy, I think that's that's just as good as getting them out on the ice, to be honest with you. Because yeah. you see teams like Buffalo, like just miserable. And they have – Rasmus Dahlin is, is an extremely talented player. He could probably be one of the best NHL in the world, one of the best defensemen in the NHL like by yeah. far. But just the environment he's in is just not a not – a, environment that you want to be developing players in so yeah but th- th- there's a big difference between buffalo where they have been losing for two decades and the rangers where they send out the rebuild letter only three years ago there's yeah. a big difference yeah transparency no, it's it's transparency but it's only been three years most most rebuilds take take five years until you get to a cup if you look at the penguins the penguins won the stanley cup in 2009 right yeah their first oh, they're 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 earliest first overall pick was in 2003 it took them six years from a top three pick to win the cup because people always talk about Crosby as the starting point of their rebuild but they drafted Flurry first overall in 03 Malkin second overall in 04 Crosby was their third top two pick in a row yeah and then they had Jordan Saul in Jordan Saul too they had top two picks four years in a row and I think Ryan Whitney uh in 2002 in the top five so they they (laughs) They were, they were picking high in the draft long before Crosby was even in the discussion. Um, and the same thing with, uh, with the Kings. You know, when the Kings won a cup in 2012, Kopitar and Dowdy were already on their second contract. When the Blackhawks won their first cup in 2010, that was three full years after they drafted Kane. And they drafted Taze before that. And they drafted Cam Barker before that, who didn't work out, but it was still a high pick. So going from drafting having your first ever top three pick in 2019 to wanting to win it all in 2021 is just that's not realistic that's it's it's the it's the impatient atmosphere that new york brings with everything like it it, like all the new you see it on twitter all the time like these guys just like want to win now or it's a bust like i i i saw this season as from the beginning like we weren't going to make the playoffs like this this is just going to be a season that we develop our players but then they kind of give us that little bit of hope and then everyone just runs with it. They're like, oh, we can make the playoffs. Let's do it. Let's do it. And then when we, when we start losing the thing, games. That's the thing. When you when you score eight plus goals in three separate games this season, it's really hard for fans to not go crazy and not go, oh, maybe we should make the playoffs. <laughs> but at the same time, when I see fans talk about being five points behind Boston, I I keep thinking to myself, we're not five point, points behind Boston. We're nine points behind Boston because right. they're two games in hand. 
and nine games behind the last playoff spot with only 20 games to go, then you're not in the playoffs. I'm sorry, you're not in the hunt for the playoffs. And this, this, this season should always be about getting your team ready to win it all in three years, not to squeak into a playoffs for a first-round exit. Yeah, agreed. Right, and I mean, I, I lost lost it pretty much when they lost the Buffalo. Like, I'm, I'm on the playoff train, but I understand. I want the younger guys to play top-line minutes. We know that the top six, we know guys like Panarin, Zibanejad, Stroh, and Bushnevich, they could carry us to the playoffs. We saw it last year. I don't need to see it again. I want to see what the kids can do. I want to see mm-hmm. heavy involvement from them now. Yeah. So, and then losing that game to Buffalo, I just, I, I lost my shit. Like I, I, I went on a, like a 10 minute heater on, on Instagram live and, you know, people were laughing and stuff. Um, but then you bounce back with the game against Pittsburgh the other night and it's a completely different game. And I don't understand how you could go from, you know, like, two goals struggle to score on the low, less the worst team in the league and then against the penguins who've been killing it recently you get eight goals on them and to top it all off everyone played about the same amount of ice time and eight different goal scorers eight different goal scorers yeah i think there was only i mean excluding the defensemen i think only three forwards didn't score have a point or something like that I was yeah, the, the fourth line didn't get on the score sheet, but you know, you win eight four. There's not really much to complain about. <laughs> yeah, no, of course not. Yeah, I'm not complaining. I, w- I was ranting about Blackwell being in the top six instead of Lafreniere and Kako, and all three have a have a have a multi point game. So <laughs> Wait, I was thinking that literally the two lines that got shuffled. I think every single player on those two lines got a point that game. <laughs> Except no. for I mean, it was a good game, and I'm, I'm happy. Don't get me wrong. It's not that I want the Rangers to lose. It's just that when they lose, I'm not upset. There's a difference. When the Rangers lose, I don't, I don't go to bed angry. I'm like, all right, we lost. It's a rebuilding season. It's fine. Yeah. I, if, if the Rangers lose a game 5-4 and their young kids play well and Keandre Miller gets a goal and, and Adam Fox puts up a three-point performance, I can be happy with it. It's not a win, but I can be happy with it. Um, yeah. although and at the same time I shouldn't be talking about Adam Fox because he's not really a prospect anymore <laughs> it's only his second season but he should win the Norris so, <laughs> so actually, I keep saying that McAvoy is better than Fox and I'm like you got you're delusional and he's just like wow I got quote tweeted by a, a low tier New York <laughs> Rangers podcast Woo-hoo. Yeah, like, yeah. Sure. and then I kept quote tweeting him after because McAvoy got hurt and Fox had a good night and I'm just like how can you say McAvoy is better than Fox, man? This, you can't even compare the two. Do you do you remember the tweet that Dan Rosen sent out that Adam Fox is not a Norris candidate yet, but he will be in the future? Oh, did he say that? Uh-oh. Yeah. I, I like he, Dan Rosen, but I don't he, know. He said, he, said, he said that on St. Patrick's Day, March 17th. Since that tweet, he leads all players in the league <laughs> in points. Wow. Not just defensemen, all players. That includes McDavid and McKinnon. Dreisaitl too? Wow. Yeah, yeah. Since well, maybe not after yesterday, but after the Rangers game, I looked it up. And since the Dan Rosen tweet, Adam Fox led all players in points league-wide. Yes. That's nuts. Oh, my God. Dude, he's a different animal, that guy. I, I mean, you I said... I need to make that Michael Jordan meme with Adam Fox's face on it with Dan, Dan Rose's tweet in the corner. Oh, Kiriakos could do that. Yeah, for sure. You really need to. That's, 
I, and I took that personally. That Fox really did take that personally. <laughs> I mean, you saw glimpses of it his rookie year, but this year is just insane. You hear Quinn talking about it. It's just like makes makes plays out of nothing, literally nothing. He makes things happen out of the blue, yes. And early in the season, I wasn't really impressed with him on the power play. He didn't really move the puck quick enough. Um, but our power play was shit anyway. Yeah. Um, our power play is probably my biggest gripe with David Quinn because he likes to change the lines faster than a baby's diaper. But <laughs> the power play has been the same since since day one. There's yeah. too many righties on that first unit. I'm sorry. It's just not going to work. It doesn't work out. That too. And, you know, maybe you have a second power play unit. Maybe sometimes you should start the power play with the second unit. Right, yeah, just change it up. Because, they barely get any power play time. I saw that. And here's my reasoning. Here's my reasoning. Even if the second power play unit doesn't do anything, right? Even if they don't get a shot on goal, if you swap out your second unit for your first unit at the right moment, your top guys are out there against tired opponents. So your, your second unit doesn't have to do anything. Just keep those players on the ice. That's all they have to do. Mm-hmm. Right. Gotcha. And especially on the power play, it's super easy to keep control of the puck and change yeah. change a couple guys. So when you have a power play in the second period with the long change, it's almost oh, impossible yeah. to to go for a line change unless you clear the puck. Yep, that's very um, true. But yeah, my 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 biggest gripe with Quinn this season has been his uh, in game adjustments, like changing the lines mid game or sometimes after five minutes. Um, but he's not doing that anymore. So. It looks like Quinn has learned from the two weeks Chris Knobloch was behind the bench. Yeah, no, I mean, I was I was talking to Joey about this. Like, I played hockey growing up. I play at my school right now. And I I, I was always, like, that kind of guy. Um, I was, like, a Brendan Smith type guy. I, I, I usually play defense, but I was, I was sometimes put in, up as forward. But, like, when my coaches would, would tell me to, like, change mid-game, it would just mess with my mind. Like, I would play with different players. I would play forward one shift. I would play D one shift. Like – it just messes with your head. And from a player's perspective, like I would literally hate being, being like put up and down the lineup during a game. You, you remember Roger Nielsen, right? He was all of fame the Rangers. All of fame coach. He He's also responsible for more rule changes than anyone else. I think because he would always think of weird stuff. Like he would, <laughs> he would pull his goalie and then tell his goalie to leave the stick in front of the crease. <laughs> <laughs> That's hilarious. Hey, that's, so, a, that's an extremely good idea. <laughs> uh, so he's responsible for more rule changes than anyone else, I think. But he's a Hall of Fame coach. And he said at one point, you know, he, that he always keeps the lines together for around 10 games. And if it doesn't work after 10 games, then he changes it up. Which is a little bit riskier because if it doesn't work for 10 full games, you're basically losing 12% of the season. But... I think it's better than than constantly changing because you never develop chemistry. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. And I think that the, at the beginning of the year, I was in love with the the DJ, when Di Giuseppe was playing well with Di Giuseppe, Hedo, and Kako until Hedo got hurt. Mm-hmm. I was in love with that line, and you know, I was thinking like you know maybe they go back, but I mean Di Giuseppe's not playing well right now to be honest. Now Di Giuseppe had a really good start. I think five or six goals in his first fifteen games. Yeah, something like that. But he and, was um, making stuff happen. Yeah, he battled COVID, and he hasn't he hasn't really he hasn't fully recovered. I feel. Um, but if you keep changing the lines, like mid game or after every game, 
then you develop a, an environment where players are afraid to make mistakes. And yeah. you didn't have that, especially during a rebuild with young players. And there was an interview that Kako did last year on a Finnish podcast where he explained how he stopped playing his own game because every time he would try to make a play, the coach would tell him, don't do that anymore. Mm. and how uh, Quinn asked him to stay after practice to, to practice dumping the puck. You know, you're, you're, you're telling someone to completely forget everything they learned for, for 18 years and focus on something that is not part of their game. And every time they do something that they're comfortable with, you tell them not to, to stop doing it. That's, and, and he called out Quinn in that podcast and, and, I think something must have happened because it, it's not happening this season anymore. You know but, what? I think I think I, I can even see that happening with Lafreniere right now. But honestly, I think it'll help those players in the long run. Like like we like Kako is not Kako has played his whole life as a goal scorer. He was always a probably a top line guy. Mm-hmm. Um, when you come to the NHL, you need to learn how to play in all different scenarios. And I think Kako, uh, Quinn is really grooming these young guys coming into the league to play in every single sort of scenario. And I think Kako will be a better player for it. No, no. And, and that is fine. I don't disagree with that. What I disagree with is that you bench players every time they make a hockey play and it doesn't work out. If someone makes a stupid play or if someone loses their, their patience, like D'Angelo slamming the, pen, the, door, the door of the penalty box. Right. You bench someone for that. You give them a fine. You sit them for a game. You know, they have to learn not to do that anymore. But if you have a player trying to make a hockey play and it doesn't work out, you shouldn't punish that. You shouldn't punish the right intentions. That's fair. That's you should fair. punish the wrong intentions, not the right intentions with the wrong outcome. Isn't right. that his thing, Quinn's thing? Like what he was saying with Howden, he's got good intentions like that. He gives Howden a longer leash because of good intentions. Yes. I, I, I don't know. I got I to gotta get rid of Howden, honestly. I, I, mean, I mean, he's probably good. He's a good kid, but it's just... It's not working out. It's not. What has he done that anyone else on the team hasn't done? Like, I think Rooney's a really good fourth line center. To be, oh, no. I think I think Rooney's better than Howden. And, and yeah. honestly, Howden this season has not been a problem the way he was in the in the past two seasons, in my opinion. But the arrival of Blackwell and Howden has sort of pushed people out of the lineup. Brendan Lemieux right. uh, has been horrible this season. I mean, he's been probably the worst Ranger on most nights. So to get a fourth round pick for him is, uh, is, I mean, that, that's a pretty good deal. Yeah. But if, if it wasn't for Rooney and Blackwell, Howden and, and Lemieux would still be in the lineup. They were just out, outperformed by two free agency pickups. And kudos to Blackwell and Rooney for forcing their way onto the team. And it wasn't a problem while we were still dealing with injuries and Panarin sitting out a couple of games. But now that everyone's back, back on the ice everyone's healthy and you know we have a full roster to choose from you see that hope, hopefully we'll see Rooney sticking in the lineup over Howden because I think Rooney's a better player and it's super funny like when when they made those two pickups of Rooney and Kincaid actually um they made them very close to each other me and me and Joey I was on the podcast we were like yeah these are probably like AHL pickups like bolstered bolstered the farm system <laughs> and they ended up being pretty pretty big pieces of this team this year and I think initially that's the, the reason they they signed Blackwell Rooney and King Kincaid is expansion draft purposes only right 
Same with Boteto. They needed players that fit the criteria because they need at least two forwards, one defenseman, one goalie to meet the criteria for exposure. And if you signed players who are close to hitting that, or in Boteto's case, have already hit that, then you take a lot of pressure off of your prospects because you don't have to put your prospects in a position where they have to play to reach a certain amount of games. Yeah. But Blackwell and Rooney have, have been playing well enough to be to be on the team. There's no reason to take them off the team. So I'm, I'm curious to see what's going to happen when Howden's back uh, or when he's healthy again. I really hope that they don't give up on Gauthier. Um, even Hayek has made strides this year, but I just don't want them to give up on Gauthier yet. I, we, we talk so much about, you know, giving Gauthier an opportunity like free Julian. Look, it's just, I, I, I've been defending Gauthier like, excessively this season because I think he's better than some of the players that are in the lineup. Right. But I, I, I was talking to my girlfriend's brother earlier and he brought up a valid point because the, the, the thing that annoys me is that we gave up Joey Keane, who is a, exempt from the expansion draft to get a player, Julian Gauthier, who has to be protected. And now we're not even playing him. And then my girlfriend's brother said to me, yes, but when we traded for Gauthier, the situation was completely different. Kraftsov was struggling in Hartford. We didn't have Lafreniere. Kako was coming off the one of the worst seasons for a top three pick in the NHL at age 18. So giving up Joey Keane, getting Julian Gauthier, you get a player who, who was lighting it up in the AHL goal scoring wise. You pick up another asset that's sort of an insurance piece. And now a year later, we... We drafted Lafreniere. Kako is having a stellar season. Kravtsov's coming from Russia, and he doesn't look out of place in the lineup. And all of a sudden, Julien Gauthier is the odd man out. And in a way, this is one of the casualties of a successful rebuild. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, I never thought of it that way. It's, it's pretty crazy how it went from one extreme to the other. It's, yeah. you know, I like a lot of a lot of parts about his game. Like, you know, cha- he changed the script with this year. He started powering to the net he's very very he's like a bull on the the forecheck like it's just he reminds me of a young Chris Kreider and yes he's the type of player that a team will regret trading too early in my opinion yep we might be in a position where we don't have a choice yeah because it's just it's going to be hard to fit him in the lineup he's, he might be too good for like the bottom six and you know uh, I, I don't I don't know that's my I mean, okay, okay. So if he's if he's too good for the bottom six, where are you going to play him? Because you have Butch Nevich and Kako on the right. Right. Yeah, you can't get rid of Nevich either because he's playing really well this year. Yeah, Butch Nevich is entering his prime. He's twenty six years old. He's getting to his best years now. You're going to trade him right before he no right way. before he hits his ceiling? No, no way. way. Are you going to trade Kako, who's a second overall pick eighteen months ago? No way. No way. So. As as unfortunate as it is for Julian Gauthier, he is the odd man out in a successful rebuild. The same way that Brendan Lemieux was the victim of Blackwell and Rooney simply outplaying him. Sometimes players just are, don't have a spot in the lineup through no fault of their own. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, you're right. And one guy who's done the opposite, I think, is Libor Hayek. I think he's been playing extremely well. I much better than he has in the past from what I've seen. I think he's making much smarter plays. His skating looks amazing to me. Um, but I, I think he's been doing really well. What do you think about him? 
Yeah, I'm 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 probably chairman of the Toronto Reunion and fan club. So yeah. I, okay. <laughs> I like what I saw from Reunion. They played a game, he gets an assist, and then he goes back down. He was yeah. very well too. I, He's a point I, per game player in the NHL. How many defensemen can say that? <laughs> no, I think Hayek has surprised me in a good way. He's exceeded expectations, which were not too high to begin with. Right. Uh, he had a very mediocre start to the season in the Czech Republic where he was struggling to stay in the lineup for Cometa Bruno, which is a good team in the Czech Republic, but it's a Czech league. If you don't get if you don't get to stay in the lineup in the Czech league as an NHL player, there's a problem. Right. Um, I think Hayek has not really played bad enough to be scratched or to be demoted. But at the same time, I feel Reunanen has done everything he should have done to be given an extended look. And maybe at the deadline, we'll trade Brendan Smith and Reunanen will get a call up. Uh, Matthew Robertson, after the WHL season's over, can play up to six games uh, without it affecting his contract status. So maybe closer to the end of the season, we'll see some of these young kids play some games. Morgan Barron is another candidate forward. It all depends on what we do at the deadline. Uh, but this deadline is going to be a, a dud, I think. There's, I mean, did you see the deal the Devils made with the Islanders? Yes, yesterday? Yeah, that was I pretty, did. That was crazy. Um, they got both. They both got Zajac and Palmieri, and they basically gave up a first-round pick and a conditional fourth because the two right. players going the other way are the equivalent of, yeah, uh, Anthony Greco and Darren Radish. Yeah, they're yeah, they're just twenty-seven, twenty-seven-year-old yeah. and twenty-four-year-old AHL player. That's yeah. that's a good return for the Devils, you'd say, right? No, the Islanders won that trade. No? Like it's not even close. Those players are not really going to do much for the Devils, so they have to hope that the first-round pick is going to. Oh, you're saying for the Devils, there, Greco and. Yeah, so so yeah, if, yeah. If the it. Devils would have made this trade with the Rangers, the equivalent would have been a late first round pick, a fourth round pick, Anthony Greco and Darren Radish. I which, mean, you you can't really expect them to get much in return, to be honest with you. Both their contracts are up this year, so yeah, it's like the the problem is also that there's there's not there aren't too many teams that are going to give up a lot of assets because you have the expansion draft coming up, uh, so a lot of GMs are are working on that and. I, I, for one, am always excited about expansion drafts because it shows how how bad some general managers are. Uh, <laughs> four years ago, with the Vegas Golden Knights expansion draft, you saw uh, the Florida Pan uh, the Florida Panthers giving up Marcia so uh, to to force the Vegas Golden Knights to to pick Riley Smith. <laughs> um, so we gave him Marcia so and yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, and William Carlson, too. I mean, you yeah, could have yeah. seen that yeah. one. The Anaheim Ducks gave them Shea Theodore so they could keep Josh Manson. <laughs> um, an amazing the, defenseman. The Minnesota Wild gave them Alex Tuck so they could keep Matt Dumba. Matt Dumba's not a bad player, but you're losing Alex Tuck. Matt Dumba's contract is also ginormous. Yeah. So The, the Columbus Blue Jackets, I think, gave up their first-round pick, so Vegas – would have would would take William Carlson from them, who led their team in scoring the first season. So when when people say that that the Vegas Golden Knights were handed a contender, they're they're right, but they weren't handed a contender by Gary Bettman. They were handed a contender by incompetent general managers. 
And I hope something similar happens with Seattle. I, I'm, I'm just, I'm excited to see what Seattle is going to do with the expansion draft. The Rangers are in a pretty good position. At worst, they're going to lose Julian Gauthier or Libor Hayek. I wouldn't have a problem with that because we still got loads of defensive prospects in the pipeline. We're stacked for, for years there down there. That goes way down. Yeah. Oh, they, on defense, yeah. Robertson, Jones on the left, Lundqvist. Yeah, uh, I keep right. Jones is the one that I keep forgetting about, and he is really good. Like you shouldn't forget about him. Like that's how good he is. He's he's playing. Um, I think right now in the uh, Frozen Four semifinals. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And then forward, uh, it's a little weak, but I mean, it's still you still have you still have options. Um, I wanted to ask you, Lori Payunemi, what is his ceiling? What do you think? Um, yeah, a third, third line uh, offensive winger is probably what his ceiling is. I don't see him becoming a top six player. Yeah, no. Um, he's for, really good in his league, but it's just, I don't know if he's going to beat out. I mean, he's good, but he plays on the right wing. He would have to be better than Kako and Kravtsov to be a top six winger on the Rangers. So, yeah. Then again, you never know what's going to happen in two years. I think he's not going to make the NHL for at least two years anyway. Uh, my expectation is that he signs a contract this summer and then either goes back on loan for a year or starts in Hartford. And, uh, but if he, can, if he can develop into a Victor Olofsson or a Benoit Pouliot at one season he was in New York, I think that would be the, um, the desired outcome. You know, a, a goal-scoring winger on your third line, don't expect too much on defense. Right, yeah. That's just, I mean, I like what I've been, what I saw when I'm seeing from him in, uh, in Turku, TPS. Uh, just, he's been one-dimensional, but he's only 21. So he, he can still work on his game. I've been, I've been like, you know, calling for a guy that just shoots the puck because the team passes it so much, so, so much. Like, I that's, mean, come on, you notice it, right? That's also true. Yes. Right. Like, I just, I can't, I can't. I can't with this, like passing it up, passing up all these opportunities and stuff. It, it bothers me. Uh, and they've done it for years. It's a completely different team, different coach, different system. And they oh, no, it's, 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 it's part of Rangers culture. I think it's, <laughs> it's just something that it's like a, it's like a generational thing, you know, that that's get, that gets passed on from one team to <laughs> from one player to another, because it has been an issue for at least a decade. Right. Yeah. Same with face. Same with faceoffs. By the way, the last time the Rangers had a faceoff percentage over fifty percent was two thousand eight, two thousand nine. Jesus. Wow. <laughs> no one from the team is on this team anymore, and it, it, we haven't had a, a, a positive faceoff percentage in thirteen years. I think Strom one game went like zero and twelve. Face-offs or something like that. Someone went was really bad. Yes, the other day against Pittsburgh was like one in twelve. I don't know who it was. Someone went one in twelve though. I saw it. It was crazy. No, and I agree that that if your faceoff percentage is forty eight percent, it's not really something to worry about. But when you go one from twelve, <laughs> I mean, I don't even play hockey. I I I'm, I can probably win one out of twelve faceoffs. <laughs> oh my, my gosh. God. That's terrible. How do you, what? Like, I don't, I don't get it. I, I don't get it. I don't understand how, how, how you could have, how you could go one for 12. You can't even win on accident. Yeah. Just, just drop your stick and you win one. <laughs> right. Just push the guy. Yeah. Uh, I, one, 
like another point I wanted to make about Quinn, just going back to him. I liked, I, I mentioned it earlier that, that he rolled off his lines. And one thing that I, I didn't have a problem. I was pissed. I was still pissed when I heard about the practice lines. I, w- I was still pissed about the loss to Buffalo. So I could care less. I'm just like, whatever, man, like the team can't play. They're just going to make me cry and angry and upset again. Uh, and I was just like, what if he, what if, what if he just puts him on the third line, but instead of playing Zabanajad for 25 minutes, why don't you split it up a little bit and give the, the, the bottom six a little bit more time and less time to the top six. So everybody plays. Roll the because, line. because Quinn wants to win games and he will play whoever he thinks gives him the best chances to win. Right. He play, he coaches like it's a game seven, but, uh, but he coached like this in college. And I, I brought this up a couple of weeks ago with someone else on a different podcast, but all this talk about Quinn being a development coach is something I never really agreed with because when he was coaching in college, he coached Boston University, which is always one of the top teams. They always have the best recruits. When you have Jack Eichel and Clayton Keller and Brady Kachuk and Dante Fabro, um, yeah, it's a little bit easier to coach than if you coach, for instance, uh, Yuma's Lowell or Minnesota Duluth or Northeastern. David Quinn was never really a development coach in college. He was coaching one of the, he was coaching contender every year. Hmm. If you want to, if you want to hire a coach from college that is good at developing players, in my opinion, you should look at a coach that works with fifth round, sixth round, seventh round picks, undrafted players, and manages to get them to the point where they are contributors in the NHL. Uh, 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 Lehman, who works for Providence College, is is, is, an, is an example. Um, really good idea, actually. I never thought yeah, of Sandlin, Sandlin, who coaches, uh, I think he coaches Duluth. Those, in my opinion, if you are going for a college coach and you want to go with the whole development coach thing, you should go with those guys and not the guys that coach Boston University, Boston College, Michigan, because they always they always recruit the best players anyway. But that's just my opinion. Yeah, I agree. What are your thoughts on uh, Gerard Gallant, or however you pronounce his name? I don't think he's definitely a better coach than David Quinn. I think David Quinn's a good coach. I think he's just the wrong coach for this team. I think David Quinn is the perfect coach for a team like Vegas or Colorado, where you can get, you know, where you can squeeze the last bits out of your players. I think he's related to that. I think Gerard Gallant is the same. Gerard Galland is a coach that gets, you know, the last little thing out of your, out of your players. So is Ellen Vigneault. So, yeah, yeah, yep. Yep. Vigneault, definitely. Yeah. So I, I don't really see a difference between, I don't see a lot of differences between Ellen Vigneault, David Quinn and Gerard Galland, to be honest. Okay. All right. So that's good. That's good to know because, you know, <laughs> I was interested in, you know, seeing if the Rangers might hire him, but, I guess if that's not the direction the team needs to be going, then stay away from him and get somebody else. Then I don't think I don't think Quinn is on his way out anyway. Nah, I, think, I don't I don't think so either. To, yeah. How many years does he have left? Two uh, years. Two years after the season. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I think honestly, I think they'll stick out that contract and see what happens after that. I think I think after that they might want to look for someone that that gets a team the cup. Mm-hmm. But um, I'm not quite sure, like, if he's grew up with these guys, like, coaching them their whole kind of uh, off their first contract, right? They might want to stick with the same guy, right? I don't know. So here's a question for you guys. 
Do you know who the only Rangers coach is since the 1940s to coach the Rangers for five full consecutive seasons? If I had <laughs> to guess, there Neil, isn't any. Neil Francis? It's Ellen Vino. Wow. Really? Ellen Vino, since the 1940s, Ellen Vino is the longest consecutive serving coach behind the Rangers bench with five full seasons. Yes. Yep. Emil Francis, I think, had four, four seasons and a little bit. Oh, so close. Okay. All right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, all right, yeah. To be honest with you, I like I don't get the Elaine Vigneault slander. Like everyone's like crapping on him now, and I'm like, dude, I yeah, loved him when yeah. he was our coach. Are you the, kidding? The one, the one thing I always laugh about is when people say that young players don't develop under Elaine Vigneault. But we had Kreider, Broussard, <laughs> Zuccarello, JT Miller, Jesper Fast, Carl Hagelin. Uh, you know, Carl Hagelin was only one season, but they all got better while playing under Elaine Vigneault. And yeah. At some point, you get to a number of players where you can no longer brush it off as, yeah, they got better in spite of LNG. No, no, I, I, I don't get it at all. Like now, all of a sudden that he's, he's doing bad in Philly. Now, oh, I always hated Vigneault. Nah, he was terrible yeah. in New York. I also, I also think that a lot of players develop regardless of who's coaching them because the talent will get them to a certain level anyway. Right. Um, I think... The coach, the imp, the impact of a coach is both overrated and underrated by fans, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, Quinn's probably going to be here for two more years, and then I think they're going to look for another coach that's going to take them into the the contender years, the dynasty era. I I just you know, there's one team that I'm that I'm jealous of when it comes to coaching. It's the Nashville Predators. They've been in the league for 20 years. They've had three head coaches. Oh, okay. I thought you were going to say something about Heinz. Thank God. No, yeah, I mean, they, had, they had Trotz for like 25 years. They, they had Barry Trotz for the first 15, and then they had Peter Laviolette, and now, now the third coach. Is it John Heinz? Yeah, yeah John Heinz. Yeah. I, I, I don't like him. He looks like I mean, a, No, but, but the, the fact that the Nashville Predators went two decades with basically two coaches, that's something that I wish the Rangers could do something like that. You know, right. like in football, the Steelers. How many coaches have the Steelers had in the last 50 years? Is it four or five? Yeah. I have no like idea, that. but Mike Tomlin has been there for a long Mike Tomlin's been there for, for over a decade, maybe even yeah. two decades. And they do this all the time. They have a coach there for two decades. They are the second most successful team in the Super Bowl era, so they must be doing something, right? And the first goes to the Patriots because uh, Bill Belichick's been around since, you know, before I was born. Yeah, Bill Belichick has been around since Bill Clinton was in office, so... <laughs> Yeah. yeah, and he's—I uh, don't think he's going anywhere anytime soon. And no, as and I, I get pissed at him. Yeah, I'm a Seahawks fan, so I'm not a huge Patriots. Uh, I'm not a, I don't like the Patriots very much either. But yep, yep. Uh, last question for me, uh, Nils Lundqvist. We we've all seen the offense, but what can you tell us about his defense? Um, actually, and this is something that Ranger fans probably either don't know or or miss. But Nils Lundqvist was always a defense first player. It's just that his offense has picked up the last two years that now he's seen as an offensive defenseman. But defensively, he was already a pretty sound player in the, in the SHL at a young age. Um, what really sets him apart from other defensive prospects um, is when I look at him on the bench. When I go to games, I like to get a, a seat behind the bench because I like to observe players, you know, how do they respond to a bad shift? 
how do they respond to their teammates allowing a goal or one of their teammates uh, getting injured or, or just having a bad game. And, and I always focus on this. I did it with Kako. I did it with Payu Niemi, with Kravtsov and Lundqvist. And Nils Lundqvist is doing something that I haven't seen any prospect do in the last couple of years. He is, when he's on the bench, he, he never just sits down and watches the game. He's always involved. He's always up. He's always leading over the boards. He's all, always directing uh, traffic almost when they're, when they're possessing the puck. And he's putting the defensemen in the right spots when they're on defense. It's, it's almost like a little general that's, that's trying to, you know, put players in the right spots. He, he thinks the game like a head coach. And wow. he, he's only 20, but he plays like he's 27, 28. And he's only 5'11", but when you see him on the ice, he hits players as if, as if he's 6'4". Um, so that compared with his skating, his gap control is great. Um, if there's one area that he could improve in, is that sometimes when he's on the ice, he uh, he gets a little bit caught up in the play. He he pinches a little bit too much and and joins joins the rush, uh, which is fine if it works. But in the NHL, that could be a little bit risky because you create you you, you give your your opponent the opportunity for breakaway. Um, but if he can pick his moments and and do that the right way, then I think he's gonna he's gonna he's gonna do great in the NHL. Um, I, I don't compare him to Adam Fox because I don't want to compare anyone to Adam Fox right now. Um, I mean, a year ago, I, I compared Niels Lundqvist to Adam Fox because they play the game in a very similar way on the power play. They're a little bit different, but even strength, they're the same, but with the way Fox has been playing this season, it's unfair to compare anyone to him. (laughs) But an Adam Fox light who loves to shoot on the power play. His biggest strength on the power play is the way he shoots because his slap shot is so quick that the goalie doesn't have time to, to set himself up because he doesn't, he doesn't wind up his stick all the way. He only winds it up a little bit. So he gets to shot off much faster. It's not, the, mm-hmm. it's not the hardest shot, but because he gets it off so quickly, the goalie is, is almost always out of position or trying to still, you know, position themselves. That was, that was something I was always taught on the power play growing up. It was like, like I, I was always that kid. They wanted to get the point, the, the, the puck back to me so I could shoot. My coach yeah. was like, dude, you don't need a full windup. You're strong yeah. enough. Go do a ha- little half windup and get yeah. that puck to the net. And it, it, it works. <laughs> because it's, it's not about the velocity. It's about, it's about everything together. If you get right. the shot off half a second earlier, you don't have to shoot it at a hundred miles an hour. Right. And if, if you're shooting it the right way, you could get the speed on it as well. Yeah. If you're using your body the right way, that half windup could do you just as good as the full windup, yeah. you know? And, and it reminds me a lot of the way Duncan Keith shoots on the power play. Mm. Wow. Pretty good comparison, Duncan Keith. Yeah, it's difficult to find one, one player that he compares to in every way. I think right. when it comes to skating, he's a little bit like Thomas Carberlay offensively he's a lot like Duncan Keith defensively he reminds me of Matthias Ekholm he's a really difficult player to pinpoint and to wow. and to put in put in one box from all the stuff you're saying about how he is on the bench his gap control his offense on the power play he shoots is just making me really excited and you know people talk about like the Eichel trade and like okay here they're gonna give 
they're going to give Lundquist, they're going to give Kravtsov, they're going to give Kako, and then five first-round picks. Like, no, 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 no. The best I could offer you, you know that meme, like the best I could offer you? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. From a, is it some pawn shop show? Or? Yeah, Pawn Stars or something. Yeah. It's like, the best I can do is pay Unyemi in a second round pick. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Retain 50% of his contract, too, and we yeah. got a deal. Yeah. Strom for Eichel. The trade is one for one. Yeah. <laughs> No, yeah. but if you if you look at how he plays, you know he's he's just a really exciting player to to watch, and and his leadership is is valued by his teammates. Yeah, I, I've I've spoken to his teammates a few times when when they play in the Champions Hockey League here in Europe. Usually after the game, they meet the fans because there's like 50 fans that fly all the way from Sweden to the games they play in Germany and the Czech Republic. So after the game, the team comes up to the stands to meet the the Swedish fans. So I had the opportunity to, to talk to Nils and to talk to their coach and some of his teammates. And they all say the same thing about Nils Lundqvist. He's, he's one of their leaders, even though he's only, at the time, he was only 19. So um, when he played for the men's national team two months ago, he was one of the alternate captains at age 20. Huh. And that's, that's the Swedish national team. That's not the under-20 team. That's not the under-18 team. No, that's like the Swedish men's national team with players from the KHL, Liga, SHL. And he was one of the alternate captains at age 20. He played 28, 28 minutes in that game against Russia, by the way. Hmm. Wow. 28. 28, 28 minutes, yeah. My God. Jesus Christ. Yeah. Another thing he has in common with Fox, who, who plays too many minutes to, to last the whole season. You're going to be jello by the end of the game. <laughs> yeah. Well, in a way, I think, you know, it's, it's not the worst thing for Adam Fox and Ryan Lindgren to have their first two seasons be shortened seasons. It helps their transition from college to at the NHL level by last season only playing 69. This season you're playing 56 games. You don't go from college to straight playing 82 games. So... Maybe that's one of the hidden reasons why Fox is doing so well. Honestly, that's a good point. Yeah. Maybe that's, that's just a wild guess. So, I mean, amongst many other things, but yeah, yeah, I think I think that definitely could be a factor because they don't play nearly as much in college. No. Yeah, but I have to stay reasonable because that's what what <laughs> told me at uh, at the beginning. Of the <laughs> right, rational. Yes, rational. I have to stay rational. Yeah. Yes. Yes. And this is what like. As, as much as I any New York Ranger fan can. Be rational and don't don't always want to rip someone's head off at every moment something bad goes wrong. Look, just, you know, sometimes I, sometimes I, they, bad things happen because mm-hmm. they happen and there's nothing you can do about it. So just move on. Yeah, I've been yeah, I've been I've been criticizing Quinn regularly on Twitter and people are like, You think we should fire him? No, I don't want them to fire Quinn. I want Quinn to learn from his mistakes. You don't, right. Yeah. You don't yeah. immediately have to fire a coach if it doesn't work. But then when Noplak was behind the bench, you know, something changed. And one of the things that I saw that changed was that they were not messing up the lines mid-game. And I was saying on Twitter, if there's one thing Quinn can learn from these two weeks that he's been watching games from home, it's that right there. And it's been what four games, five games since Quinn is back. Yeah. Yeah. He He's not doing it anymore. Right. The third and fourth line in the third period are the exact same that they were at the start of the game. I love it. Yeah. Yeah. So I have to to give Quinn credit here for, you know, adjusting on the fly. 
Just don't like his coaching style. He should adjust on the fly. Don't 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 mess with the lines mid game because you don't you don't generate any chemistry. But I never wanted them to fire Quinn. I wanted I wanted Quinn to learn from his mistakes and become a better coach. Right. Yeah. I guess, well, that's, I guess that's a rational approach, right? Yeah. No, that's I think that is the correct way of thinking, and that's the way same way you want like uh, guys like Kako and Lafreniere to get better and stuff. Yeah, because yeah. it's not it's not like the second something goes wrong, oh, get rid of this guy. Oh, oh, he's he's playing bad. Oh, get rid of that guy. I think that's Hito not... made a turnover in the last game, and it might have led to a goal or a penalty or a, a really good chance for the Penguins. And I was just like, oh no, here we go. Hito's never playing again. I've seen I've seen people talk about trading Georgiev because Kincaid's better. Yeah. Yep. No, Kincaid had a shutout against the Bruins, where the Rangers gave up zero high danger shots. Yeah defensively they played outstanding that game yes Kincaid was in goal for a shutout but it wasn't like he was the he nah, was he keeping us in the game you know right he was making his saves but like I said zero high danger shots against so it, it it's all about context I definitely think he looks solid like I mean at the time Georgiev was struggling but I know given Georgiev's history like last year he played great year before in his limited sample size or in his yeah two years ago he, he was good and then, like his first year was was not bad for, yeah. for those those few amount of games he had in his. Uh, his if first if you remember that he's a backup, and that for a backup he's he's adequate. He's not he's not great. He's not perfect, but he's he's a, he's a good enough backup for an NHL team. Agreed. Agreed. Yeah. I don't think I don't think yeah I don't think he's like he's starter worthy, in my opinion. But he is. I think he's good enough to be you know, a reliable backup. Yeah. I don't so think he's on the same team. level as, as Ranta and Talbot were. But he's definitely better than uh, Cam Johnson or Chad, Chad Johnson, sorry. Chad, yeah, yeah. No, you're right. You're right. Cam I mean, that's what I was telling Joey. Like, I don't really ever kind of get scared about our goalie situation because of Benoit Allaire. Like, I really don't care. You could put you could put me in net. I think he could develop me into a good goalie. So, like, I, I never really yeah. – Stress about that. They, um, they should just have the emergency backup on the bench every game. <laughs> Literally. If yeah, but like okay, we had Lindblom Lindblom on the podcast a long time ago. Like this is one of our first special guests, and you know if he makes it to the NHL, he might be like one of the best goalies. I don't know why. Just if, if Benoit Lair is there, something about him just makes goalies work. But Lindbaum had a great under-18 World Juniors in his draft year where he put up, I think, a 961 save percentage or something like that, or 971. It was, it was insane. Um, I have no problem with the fact that we drafted him. Maybe we shouldn't have drafted him in the second round. So high. Yeah, we drafted him a little high. And what we also need to understand, it was, it was a draft where we had three picks in the first round. He was the fourth <laughs> player we picked. So it's not like we we completely messed up the draft. Um, he's had some injuries, unfortunately. I, I, was, uh, I, I was able to interview him uh, twice in the last year and a half and you know, talk about his injuries and how it mentally changed him. And again, this is a kid that's only 21 or turning 21 this summer. He's still 20. You know, if he, if he gets another year to, to play... They only have to decide next year if they sign him. You know, give him a contract next year. Put him in Hartford. You call up Tyler Wall or Adam Huska. You trade Georgiev for the right reason, not because he had a couple of bad games. You trade him for the right <laughs> reason. 
and then you, you bring a wall or Huska, and it's just a continuous influx of of goalie prospects that we have now. And and yeah, it's, it's great. It's great to see. Yep. Uh, last question. Michael Barkov, I think they go make moves for them in the future, or they keep the roster the same going forward. Um, I'm 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 split on this, and I have a different opinion on this basically every week because it's so up in the air. It all depends on if Eichel or if Barkov wants to stay in Florida. If he doesn't, then he is the number one target in free agency next year. If that's not the case, I would much rather signs the bandage for four years and then go after Eichel in free agency in 2026. 2026. Hmm. Let's, let's put it this way. The assets it takes to acquire Jack Eichel, I don't think are worth it for the upgrade he provides. Gotcha. Yeah. And, I guess and, you throw him in one seed, the bandage two seed, and then Strom. If you trade, you'd probably be trading Strom in the deal for you'd probably be trading Strom and Butchnevich either in that deal or a separate deal to generate cap space. Yeah. Um, but if you want Zibanejad and Eichel on the team, that's 20 million. It goes to your, your two centers already. Zibanejad's going to ask for 10 million. And don't forget about Panarin. He's 11 million. So that's yeah. And, and Truba is, is on the books for eight. And, you know, yeah, at, some, sure. at some point you run out of cap space. Um <laughs> If I had to put money on it, I think in 2025, we're still going to have Zibanejad and Strom as our one, number one and number two center. Ooh, okay. That's your ice cold take for the week, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, it seems like it, yeah. Yep. Think, about, <laughs> think about it. Think about it. It's 2022. Ryan Strom is, is, is a pending free agent. You go to the table to negotiate with him. He's playing well with Panarin. He's playing well with Kreider as well, but he's playing well with Panarin. Panarin's here for four more years. Why not sign Strom for four years in free agency before he hits free agency? Yeah, keep them all locked up. Keep them all because in the same deal. Even, even, if you, even if I agree with the whole premise that Strom is only good because of Panarin, we have Panarin for another four years. <laughs> yeah, another right. five years after the season. It's not like it's Panarin's Strom, going anywhere. If Strom is only good because of Panarin, why don't you just throw in some random guy from the AHL to play with Panarin. That's what they do with Crosby. And that's the thing. That's the thing. Some guy in a minor league deal. So he saves yeah. cap space. I don't, and, and the Crosby comparison is interesting here because this is what people have been saying about the Penguins for years. You know, it was, uh, it was first it was Chris Kunitz and now it was Jake Gensel. Dupuis. Uh, Pascal Dupuis. Maybe those players are better than we give them credit for. Same with Strom. When Panarin was out for six or seven games, um, Strom was still a point-per-game player. Yeah, he played yeah, really yeah, well. Yeah, he was, for sure. Stretch. In his first season in, in New York, he didn't have Panarin. He, put a, he scored 20 goals, playing with Nemesnikov and Jesper Foss, mostly. Yeah, I forgot about his line mates. I just remember that he scored like pretty much. And if you if you want to say that Strom is only good because of Panarin, I always have to mention the fact that Panarin hit career highs in goals and assists in only sixty nine games while playing with Ryan Strom. Right. Wow. So Panarin's yeah. best season is with Ryan Strom, not with not Patrick with Kane. Kane, not with Kane or Taze or any of those not guys. With Kane, not with Taze, not with whoever he played with in Columbus. 
Statistically, Panarin's best season was playing on a line with Ryan Strome and also Jesper Fast. Wow. Kyriakos, that, that, you know who, all, who also said that? We had Tara on the, the glove drop when she said that. You remember when she said that? That was yeah. pretty much exactly what, what Steven just said. So, yeah, you see it the same way. And I agree. I think I think <laughs> Strom deserves to have uh, a bit uh, – I think people should respect that, you know, he was a top draft pick once, and maybe he's finally come into his own and figured everything out. He's he's 26. Maybe he's entering his prime. Yeah. He's just, he's the same age as uh, – or maybe not the same age. Was it 2012 or 2013? But he's around the same age as Bushnevich. Um, but, yeah, Strom, I think Strom for the Rangers has been – I would say the Strom trade is up there with the best trades of the last decade for the Rangers. Oh, yeah, 100%. Like- if you give up Ryan Spooner for Ryan Strom – which, by the way, is part of the, the wackiest – it's the wackiest trade tree, short trade tree in NHL history because I'll, – I'll only take 10 seconds to explain this. At one point, the Edmonton Oilers had Sam Gagne and Jordan Eberle. Then they let Sam Gagne go in free agency. They traded Jordan Eberle for Ryan Strom. They traded Ryan Strom for Ryan Spooner. They traded Ryan Spooner for Sam Gagne. <laughs> wow. <laughs> what? <laughs> <laughs> oh my god uh, all right we're clipping that that's the clip for the week <laughs> yeah. that's if crazy. you if you want to watch a really good trade tree video uh steve dangles trade tree video on the rick nash trade yeah i watched that that one's good you have to watch it again and look at the ranger prospects on the columbus side of the trade tree okay Look at the because on the Columbus side of the trade tree, there's a trade involving Adam McQuaid, and we got a fourth-round pick and a seventh-round pick, and we used those for Hunter Skinner and Eric Ciccolini. Wow. It's both two guys that we had on our podcast. On the podcast. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> <laughs> That's so funny. <laughs> I love it. Love yeah, it. Ciccolini was our first guest. That's funny. Yeah. I spoke to Ciccolini a few times and Hunter Skinner, too. I met them at the draft in 2019. Okay. It's just, it's nice to, you know, you go to the draft, you meet up with these players, you talk about them a little bit and makes it easier to then later reach out to them and ask them for an interview. Cause I've been doing the prospect interviews for forever blue shirts. Okay. The okay. last, the last two years. And uh, it's just fun to talk to these kids and ask them questions that I, I ask them things that I want to know. Right. I don't care who their favorite player was growing up. <laughs> What I want to know, what I want to know is why does Vitaly Kravtsov wear number 74? Right. That's what I want to know. You know, why does, uh, or does Brett Berard uh, struggle playing on the other side, on, on the left wing or on the right wing? Hmm. Those are questions yeah. that I want to, that's things that I want to know. That's something that I always think about when we have players come on, because it's like, I don't want to be asking you the same sort of crap that everyone else is asking you. Like, I want us to have a conversation. I want us to have like an interesting thing that you want to talk about, also yeah. talk with me about. So it's like, you got to find the stuff that you're interested in and they're also interested in. So that's, that's cool. You get to meet them on a kind of a more personal level. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. We try to get like, if, if uh, they have like an interesting draft story or they know of anyone like Rushoff was explaining something about Michael Rasmussen <laughs> and uh, Fortnite and uh, his interview with like the jets or the, or the red. Yeah, the jets. It was the jets. So he goes into jets. the interview 
And they were like, so uh, do you play Fortnite at all? And he was like, uh, yeah, I do a little bit. <laughs> and they ended up like not drafting him, I think, because it, it was a problem with Lane at the time. Lane yeah. was playing a lot, a lot of Fortnite mm-hmm. and it was affecting his game. <laughs> yeah. Well, one of the stories that I that I was told by Zach Jones is that after the draft in 2019, Zach Jones and Levy Altenen were on a plane to New York. And when they got to New York, their bags were still were still in Vancouver. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> so they showed up for prospect camp without their equipment. <laughs> wow. Oh my god. They have yeah. to use like the stock equipment that's put on like yeah. the dummies. I think- I think Zach Jones was given Dylan McElrath's old gloves. <laughs> oh wow. my god. My god. Dylan McElrath's old gloves. Jesus. Yeah. So dirty. Funny. What's his name? Ruchoff was telling us too. He met the Rangers in like a coffee shop. And then like a couple of days later, he signed a contract with them. <laughs> it was just like out of the blue. Pretty funny. Yeah. Story. I mean, I, I, I was talking to Justin Richards about because his dad is the assistant coach in Tampa. Okay. And I, I asked him about his dad's reaction when he signed with the Rangers. And, and Justin Richards was like, I asked my dad and my dad said sign with the Rangers. They're one of the, one of, they're one of the most iconic teams in the league. So he didn't, his dad didn't try to you know, push him towards signing with Tampa. He was like, you know, just go with the Rangers. So it's, it's fun. Or when I was talking to Ty Ronning about how when, when he was like nine years old, he met Wayne Gretzky because Gretzky, I think, was coaching the Coyotes at the time. Okay, yeah. And his dad, Cliff Ronning, was playing in the NHL. So he was meeting all these players, and he was meeting Wayne Gretzky. And Ty Ronning tells me, you know, uh, Mr. Gretzky calls me like once a month and asks me if I need any tips on my skating or <laughs> how cool is that? So yeah. That's awesome. That's awesome. <laughs> wow. His father was a good player on the Canucks. Yeah. Um, on the 94 team. In the 1999-2000 season, the fathers of Elias Anderson, uh, Vlad Nemesnikov, Ty Ronning, and Simon Schelberg all played on the Nashville Predators. Oh, wow. Those are all fathers of Rangers prospects. That's crazy. Oh, my God. Rangers players. That's crazy. Yeah. That's something I think about when I cannot, when I cannot sleep. I'm like, oh, let's, let's research this. <laughs> we, we were, this is like coming full circle because in the beginning we were like, how the hell does this guy come up with all these stats and stuff? Yeah, because like we yeah. looked up to the thing that Val kept shouted you out on MSG, which was awesome. Like mm-hmm. that was crazy. Uh, like stuff like this is just nuts to think about. Yeah, so just to give you a little insight in that, when when Zibanejad had his second six point game, uh-huh. he did it eight days apart. And instead of thinking, "Oh, this is cool," the first thing that goes through my head is. I wonder who the last player was to do this twice in an eight-day span. And then I spent 20, 30 minutes researching it and found out that it was Wayne Gretzky in 1984. Um, And then I tweet about it. Funny thing about Gretzky, he did it twice in five days, and then he did it the third time a week later. He had three, six games in a 12-day span. Gretzky was unstoppable. There's literally I was I was just happy that I was able to to send out a tweet about a current ranger that included the text first since Wayne Gretzky. <laughs> yeah. That no. was that was just that was just cool. That's something like that actually happened. Yeah, that's that's, awesome. that's crazy. Zavanajad just you know, if you could do that every other game now, that would just be great. <laughs> well, we've had three games where we scored at least eight goals this season, which was the first time since 92-93. So that's insane. It's like 
That's oh, like next, playing, next year. <laughs> exactly. Yes. We're missing the playoffs this year. Then we're winning it all next year. Let's go. I'm down with it. Let's go. Panarin is our Messier. Fox is our Leech. Shashjorkin is our Richter. And next season, Nils Lankos will be our Zuboff. See? That's it. It works. It works. It works. Zuboff. Yes, I love it. I love it. Oh, uh, let's God. give Crafts uh, off. He's oh, and Kako is our Tikkanen. Okay. 100%. Kako is our Tikkanen. Kako is going to be Tikkanen? Yeah, because, you know, when, when they talk, it's it's like typical Finnish, you know? Right. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> I love watching his interviews. It's so funny. Yeah. All right, you have anything else to add before we wrap it up, guys? I don't think so. I'm good. Um, no, I think I'm good for now. All right, yeah. Thanks for thanks for joining us, Stephen. That was a, a really good discussion. We got a lot of insight. Uh, you know, Ranger fans, if you're interested in the podcast world, go check out his podcast. If you're on Twitter, make sure you follow him for all the craziest, wacky stats uh, <laughs> and insight. If you want updates on Nils Lundqvist and you want to get hype for him, he's your guy. Yeah, one final thing that I tweeted out two days ago. Colin Blackwell has the same amount of goals per 60 minutes as Austin Matthews this season. No way. Wow. (laughs) That is insane. (laughs) Austin Cheeks Matthews. Yeah. (laughs) We'll call him Poppy Blackwell now. (laughs) All right, everybody. Take care. We'll see you guys next week. Thanks everyone for tuning in. Stay tuned for more New York Rangers info by visiting boysandblue94.com and our Instagram at theboysandblue94. See you all next time. You don't have to go home, but you can't stay here. I know.